Design Tangents is presented by Genesis, which offers the pinnacle of quality and luxurious comfort. Genesis cars embody both elegance and power with audacious design and groundbreaking technology. From first glance through ownership, your experience will be nothing less than exceptional. Learn more at genesis.com. Where I ended up sort of in terms of my passions and stuff was just born out of wanting to find a place that I could immerse myself in, where I felt understood, even if it was just me and the artists I was listening to. Like when I was on my own at home and I put my Depeche Mode records on, no one could judge me. It was me and Dave Gahan and Martin Gore and Alan Wilder and Alan Fletcher and that was it. Welcome to Design Tangents, a podcast from Cool Hunting, exploring creative processes and inspirations that drives change makers. I'm Josh Rubin. And I'm Evan Ornston. Josh, I'm so excited that we're kicking off our second season. You know, one of the things we learned from our first season is the value of having just a little bit more structure to our interviews. You know, some of our conversations were really great as an interview, but they weren't necessarily great as a podcast. We, of course, want things to be fluid and we want to live our name, which is tangents, right? Design tangents. We want to go off on those juicy tangents. But a little bit of structure, I think, helps give and guide the conversation a little bit more. It's funny to hear you talk about structure, F. You're not usually the structured one. You tend to be very true. the more fluid one. I tend to be the more structured one. Very true. Thinking about this season, though, and thinking about this first episode of Design Tangents Season 2, structure is a very relevant topic. We had the opportunity to sit down with Zane Lowe in his studio at Apple Music in L.A., not going to lie, Josh, I was really intimidated when we got the suggestion that Zane come on the podcast. Um, you know, he's the first person we didn't really know ahead of time and weren't friends with. And it was a little bit intimidating. For those of you that don't know Zane, he loves and lives music. It's his passion. He's a musician. He's a radio and podcast host. He's one of the people who created Apple's Beats One back in 2015. Um, and now that's just called Apple Music One. You know, and he's still there after whatever that is, eight, nine years. And in addition to his many roles, he also heads up artist relations for all of Apple Music. So it's, he's a big deal. He is a big deal. And to me, he's, I guess what I'm most inspired by with Zane is that he's an absolutely brilliant interviewer. The way he engages artists is so impressive. When we were interviewing him, we talked about many different things. And there's a through line about balance. And one balance point is between diligence and instinct. It's true. And Zane talked a lot about that balance point between diligence and instinct. And, you know, of course, in the context of how he prepares for an interview. It's really good to have that diligence. And I loved when he was talking about really walking in, having all the information, having the background, having done the research, having it all there with you, having a template. but Having then, the structure. And having the structure. But, but then you walk in and you just feel the room. And that's when you decide whether or not you're going by the book, by what you have, or whether you're just kind of winging it based on the vibe of the room. And that was a really great thing to learn from him. I feel like we do that a bit. We definitely read the room. And I think that 
it was really valuable to hear Zane talk about how sometimes he's prepared, sometimes he has a structure, and sometimes he just walks in and is just open and ready to see where the conversations go. Yeah, I mean, he talks so much about the feeling, having the feeling, and I think that's something that I really took away from our conversation with him. But he, he wasn't always that in touch. Getting there was a journey and sometimes a struggle, which he candidly shared with us. We also talked about pattern matching and pattern breaking, another topic near and dear to us and our work at Cool Hunting. We really covered a lot of ground, Josh, and I think we shouldn't summarize any more of it and let's just jump right into it and talk to Zane. All right, with that, season two, episode one of Design Tangents with Zane Lowe. How do you find balance? You're a really busy guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question on a day like today because I don't have it today. You know, I got in late. I'm dealing with three different things that are that are related but unrelated. They're related in the sense that they 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 are connected to my to where I work, but they're unrelated to each other. Um, and each of them are requiring quite a lot of lot of um, attention and urgency and um, thought and all good problems, but just they need solutions, and I got to figure them out. And then, <clears throat> you know, it's a it's a really intense time for for our kids because one's in senior year trying to figure out his college move, and the other ones, you know, it's so it, there's always stuff going on in the family house, mm-hmm. you know. And so, it's all good stuff, but I mean, yeah, the balance is pretty off today. And I think so. It's a great question for a day like today because if you got me on a day where I was like super balanced, I'd have some really yeah. thoughtful, like, well, you know, it's just it's a process. You use your tools and experience. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> but I think honestly, the, the the best answer I can give today, which is probably the, the, the truest and most honest answer, is you just got to be kind to yourself. You just got to allow yourself the space to know that everything's not quite in order at the moment. It's not balanced, um, and don't try to force it into a into into some shape that isn't ready to to show itself focus on the things that you can get closer to resolving at the moment just focus like okay well today i probably only get this done just try not to be too hard on yourself trying to fix 10 things at once is what i've really learned how to do um that was how i was i would be like always trying to fix everything and it's like you know you know what sometimes things just play themselves out the way they should and you'll have much better a better idea on how to deal with it then so yeah just try not to um uh, be hard on myself if it's not all going according to some perceived plan that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> right? There's no plan. You hold space for people mm. brilliantly, right? You have so many artists that are very comfortable sitting with you I appreciate and talking you to you. you. And from the perspective of a listener, it just seems like it all happens and right. it's all instant. Right. Um, so... Do you have some sort of something that you do to transition into a moment to be able to be present? Mm-hmm. And then what are your thoughts on how, or, or, or what, do you, what is your practice of holding mm-hmm. space for people to be able to have such interesting conversations? Well, thank you. And that's, those are both great questions. I mean, I was terrible at being present when I was younger and, and only up until very recently have I felt like I'm actually in practice on that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, and it's a practice for sure, and it will be forever. And I think that, you know, it's, 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 you've got to, that's where self awareness comes in handy, I think, when you're like, hang on, you're getting ahead of this. If this isn't the reality of the situation, 
the things you that you can use in order to better understand how to be your best self right now or be a value to this scenario or right in front of you. Don't try to get ahead of those tools or get ahead of those those situations or those elements. And you know, I was I, I used to hypothesize all the time. I would you know I used to think that you know like seeing around corners meant figuring out what could go wrong. And it's actually not always the best approach. Um, sometimes it's good every now and then to sort of, if your instinct's saying, mm, this doesn't feel right, then yeah, nothing wrong with hypothesizing a bit, seeing what the angles could be and doing a bit of diligence in that space just quietly and quickly. But, um, and that goes across a whole life. Um, certainly for me at work, it comes in handy because I have to think how, the, how, how we think here at the company, but also how artists might react to something. So it allows us to present the information in the most thoughtful way. Um, that's just from years of speaking the artist language. And so that's where that kind of like getting around the corner is, 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 a, is a, um, something I do and I, and I work at it. But in my life, it, it came down to the, my, the therapy I've been doing and, and the fact that I was really still in a very anxious space and my therapist realized that uh, you know the best place for me to best way and the best place for me to start to get past that which had become just a very sort of everyday part of my life anxiety i just had to live with it physical mental spiritual emotional anxiety like it didn't matter i was just um this is me now i guess this is it he's like no 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 no. that's not the case there's things we can do to make to to, to quiet those things down and it really all just comes down to being in the present moment so he has been really instrumental in helping me to, to better understand how to know when I need to just block out the left and the right and just stay in the center of the situation and just try to find the center of it and just be, be present. And again, it's a practice. It's like I'm I'm really in, in my infancy of, of it really in a way. I'm, I'm learning the early stages of it, but I'm aware I'm learning the early stages. In terms of how I, it, it applies to me in a sort of conversation space. It's about reading the energy of the room and trying to best understand through years of doing it, what the body language or what the, the, the way that the person's moving before you even speak. Am I coming in hot? Am I coming in gentle? Is it casual like we started? Does it require formality because this person needs structure? Mm-hmm. Because this is a job for them today because that's what's making them get up to do it because no structure is just like, they're not in a headspace to deal with no structure. Like we'll get to no structure once we start, but they need to know that they're in a structured place because that's also a tool. And so it's all different. Everything, every situation is different. And I think that I, I came in with far more of, I'm sorry, it's a long answer, but I, I want to make sure I answer it thoughtfully. Yeah, no, 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 it's, this is great. That's a two part question too. How yeah, to do that, yeah, right? yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot. But I can I can I can finish by saying you know I, I used to uh, come in with far more of a sort of um, template or a game plan that I would change over time, and now I I really try not to do that. Like I had a conversation with someone yesterday, and I thought I needed to have a game plan, and very quickly I realized that that was not going to serve its purpose. And the best thing I could do would be to sit there and listen. And the best compliment I got afterwards from somebody who'd been who'd been on set said, you know, thank you for staying in the flow and keeping it authentic. And I thought, oh, well, that's that's the best compliment I could have got for what happened yesterday because it was a flow. It was a flow state of conversation and there was no traditional structure to it. And it was brilliant, I loved it. I don't know if I could have done that five years ago even. You know, I think I could, I would have just been like, just 
get back into my framework. Like I've got this framework. Like I know mm -hmm. you're going elsewhere and you want to go talk about this, but I've sort of got to hit these beats. Got to hit what? Like at the end of the day, it is what it is, a human experience. That's all you can come away with is a, is a, a valuable human experience. And if it's really good, you have another one, you know? I think, you know, Evan and I are both constantly finding this balance of, okay, we have some some preparation, some structure, but also want to be in the moment. And, that's and instinct and diligence, that. right? That's, yeah. that, that's, that's the balance, I think, to a really great experience is that you've done the work and the diligence. And I saw a vibe, even if I've listened to the music, I mean, I cannot talk to you unless I've heard your music, you know? That to me is like research in 101. Like number mm -hmm. one thing I got to do is to feel, and I've said that before, but it's true. I have to feel the music. I have to know the intention from my perspective of the music, not just the notes and the melody, which is how I used to do it. I used to be like, oh, the drums are great. How'd you get that sound? That's cool. Uh -huh. And I still am interested in that, but it's not going to, I'm not going to learn much more about drum sounds. Like, and that's not to be disrespectful to the process of recording drum sounds. There are people still need to master the mixing of that, but I, I'm not going to be able to absorb more information on that because I'm not a master mix engineer. So at some point it's going to be like, I go in the room, I put the mic in, I got the drum sound, it was cool. But it's a funny story how I got it, but I'm like, I kind of heard that story before. Someone said something to me very recently, which was amazing, which was uh, have to improvise my vocal performance to some degree because it's all feeling. And I said, how do you realize you got that feeling when you listen back to the mix? And she goes, because I'm searching for the feeling again, not the performance. And I thought that was so cool. Like she doesn't listen back to it and go, oh, great notes, great pitch, excellent tone. Mm -hmm. She's like, is the feeling still there? Mm -hmm. The diligence is to understand the music and understand and try to get the feeling. And then the instinct is to do what we're doing now, which is to just, I don't know what's coming next to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been doing quanting for 20 years, but it's pretty recent that we've kind of come to this, the way we say it is really we're pattern matching, right? We're looking for things typically that fall outside of the patterns, right? Yeah. Um, so when we're scanning a different category, whether it's, you know, hospitality or spirits or automobile design or whatever, we're like, what sticks out to us? Mm. Like, what is now, you know, um, popping? And in some ways, I think music is, I'm guessing, at least the way you're looking at it is, what sticks out? Like, what's standing out to me right now? Mm. What's different about this artist? Mm. Um, and are they connected to their work or are they disassociated from their work? And yeah. they're just kind of like a machine. I love the way you put that. And it's funny because I think music often is is doesn't get put in the same descriptive category or as as some of the other arts in that sense it's it's been so successfully commodified and commercialized and distributed as a packaged product that people forget that it's actually not the intention most of the time that's not to say that there aren't great successful business models that that do templatize in a really unique way and and we you know as human beings we're drawn to those things because they make us feel like something we want more of it right mm -hmm. Um, I haven't just eaten one French fry in my whole life. I've tried them all. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but I think that um, what I'm really dedicated to at this point in my life, having done the biggest radio show for new music on the planet, which is what the Radio 1 show is hands down. I mean, there's no, no bigger show in that time slot just by the very nature of this Radio 1 on the BBC covering the entire UK with that level of influence. And at that time, it was massive. Um, I'm sure it still is, but I mean, for me, when I walked through, I was like, all right, I may not get bigger mm -hmm. from a sort of singularity point of view than that. So what's a bigger thing for me? 
Like, where's the bigger curiosity for me? Where, where am, what am I going to get out of the next phase of my life? And I knew it would get bigger from working at Apple from a learning curve point of view and in the areas I would never thought I would ever go into and understand hardware and tech and software and services and the beautiful, and that, that very true intersection between, you know, technology and the liberal arts. It is 100% what this company is. No question about it. I can say from inside the whale mm -hmm. now that that is what it is, it is about. Uh, from my perspective. Um, so I've learned so much. It's way bigger than I, it was before. But in terms of the radio and the conversation space and everything else, I'm like, hang on, this is actually a much broader space for me to explore because I'm not just driving the story of big new song out in six weeks, big new song out in six weeks. When you remove that, then you're like, what's, what, what is all this about out here, outside of that framework? And that's when it got really interesting. That's when the conversation space was like, what's driving the purpose here of making this? Not what's the purpose of listening to it or releasing it or marketing it, but why is it being made? Who are you? And then it was like, wait, pop stars feel that too. It doesn't just have to be Justin Vernon or PJ Harvey or anyone else I consider to be the highest of the high in terms mm -hmm. of finding that or scissor, finding that inner voice and going, Wah! there are pop stars who strive for that all the time. And that's an even more interesting conversation because they still have to figure out what it means to an existing infrastructure that is driving for success. So those are just two examples of like where I've ended up in conversations and so forth and where it goes. And, it, and there's so many more. And so it's been the best time for my life to your point of being able to identify what is unique and authentic about everyone's story. Whereas when I was working back in other areas, I felt like I didn't have so much room to do that because we got two minutes to make this song sound big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, we were all working for each other. I mean, the artists were working for the fans who needed to get the music. They got it from the labels, who put it in the stores, and then to put them in the stores, we, they came listen to us, and we made them aware of it, and they went to the stores and bought the record, and the label did it, and the artist. It was all just big one swirl of industry, right? And that that's all kind of, that's all been dismantled now, and it's been carved up, and distributed to people who still care or just very successful at it. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, you're, you're, you're describing the, you know, we, like we, we called out patterns as a, you yeah. know, as a, and, and our practice of pattern matching and, and kind of what I'm hearing you talk about is, you know, this, this uh, one pattern or template, uh, which is more thinking, yeah. right? It's just, okay, this is, this is the job today. I've got to, got to I got the song. announce this, get yeah. that out, whatever. And yeah. then the other pattern, which is, which is more feeling. Yes. And, rooted in the breadth of experience and conversations you've had yes. and the artists that you've talked to and the, and maybe some of the patterns that you've kind of observed that help read the room or, or, or guide just opened me another up. conversation. It opened me up because I had been trained to play records and talk to artists in order to, to serve a purpose for the fan for where I worked and for the industry and for the artist. I right. was really just serving this thing. And I wasn't really asking myself, what's what's really interesting you? Like, where's your curiosity in all of this? Not as much as I am now. Yeah. And that's why, and I've said this many times, but I, it's, it's so important, I've got, to, I've got to shout out, but I'll do it quickly, which is why when I got told, you don't listen, that was the big thing for me because I'd been trained to not really worry about the answer. I was too busy focusing on just getting it finished, getting it out and making the best possible opportunity for the song I could. Wait, when did that happen? When were you told you? I was, um, I was about a year into building this with Ian and Julie and a few people, and Francis and a few people building this radio model 
at Apple. And then when, when Ian, your, our mutual friend, mm -hmm. departed, someone had to kind of be the, be the person that would go and report the information to, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was me. It's a very steep learning curve and I, and I had to figure out what I was doing and it was affecting the things that I would be hired to do, right? I wasn't focusing as much on conversation. I wasn't as much in the conversation. Like I'd show up at the last minute and I'd be very respectful. I'd know the music, I'd know my research, but I was really just kind of, I had my, I, I was also somewhere else. I was also like, oh man, in three hours I have this meeting, I don't think about that. And, blah, blah, blah. and so my friend who I worked with said, you need to talk to someone about this and you need to, because this is really your skill. Like this is a big skill. You turn your back on this and it really alters the whole makeup of what drives you and what inspires you. And if you're ready to do that, cool. But I don't think you are. So I went and spoke to a performance coach, someone who works in athletics and anything in the performance industry, whether it's athletics, high level, um, business, um, arts, actors, musicians, I think anybody who just wants to perform at a high level that feels like they're stuck. And I went and spoke to her and she just she went and watched my stuff and came back and said, you know, yeah, look, you've, you've got some real natural ability and skills here that people are drawn to, but you don't listen really enough to what they're actually saying to you. you and she gave me a bunch of examples of things that people had said that I just kind of, you know, driven on past, you know, and because I was preoccupied and I wasn't thinking about the moment. And she was like, um, you know, you keep trying to protect your uh, subject. I don't know why, but you just got to let them be and let them say what they want to say and trust that you're going to be able to navigate that and be okay. It'll be okay. It's just a human experience. You'll be all right. And that, so that was the big thing for me. And uh, that's when I was like, well, there's so much more I can talk about now because I'm open. Mm -hmm. And I had just been so closed. I'd been really closed. And, and, and it amazes me that I'd gone as far as I'd gone, especially in conversations. If you look back at that Kanye interview, the first one I did, not the first one, it was actually the second or third one I did, but I did this one where it, was, it, was, it went very, very wide. It was probably my biggest hit at the time. It was a very big interview where he was talking directly to camera about fashion, about what his ambitions were and how he felt when he didn't feel respected and understood. And it was very, and it went very far. It was very long, broken up to four pieces. That was the beginning of me just going, whoa, like, I don't know if I'm actually good enough to do this right now. And people talk about that interview all the time, but I was out of my depth in that, in that space, no question. And those that know me know. And those that probably don't still know because I just watched it. <laughs> but it's like, now I know that it's like, all right, like I, I can have a conversation with someone and we can really go there and have a great, a great curious experience, you know? Was that a really pivotal moment for you when you realized like, yes, you're good at the obvious this album's coming out, we're going to talk to this artist, we're yeah. going to have a two-minute segment, we're going to get the things we need yeah. and, and move on, to really being connected to the conversation, yeah. having that presence. There are times when people say things to me while they're searching for a, a purpose for that observation because we've gone there, like we're just open now, we're not, we're not trying to protect, we're not trying to put guidelines around anything. It's like, hey, when I made this, I felt this way and I'm willing to share that with you that I feel compelled in that moment to share as well because I don't want it to feel like therapy. My therapist doesn't share his experience to me when I'm sharing something with him. He just gives me guidelines or lets me go. I wanna be able to have a conversation with somebody about my experience, not to the detriment of the fan or what, what the, the subject is trying to say. I know my place in this, but because I, I want them to feel like, yeah, I get it. I get it, like I'm with you. We can have this conversation because I'm here with you. I'm not sitting here scratching my head going, I don't know how to deal with this. Every now and then I'll hit some beats, you know, I'll put some things down on a text, you know, put a little timeline of one or two words in a row down just so I know I got some beats. But that's because it's like something's crossed a line for me where I know that um, my lack of process might not keep me secure in that moment because I'm super psyched. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like. Do you get starstruck? Yeah, you? all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. If I'm hoping someone's going to be honest with me, not to, I'm not expecting revealing. Like I, I don't go into it and go, right, we need to get deep on this. Like, you know, duh, 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 duh. it could just be fun. Like I have fun conversations with people all the time. It doesn't always have to feel deep, but honest is good. Honest is critical. How proactive are you? I mean, are there people that you've got your list of like, I definitely want to talk to these people and you're going to mm. pursue them versus just mm. publicists and whatever hitting you up saying, hey, this artist has this new it's album both. dropping. It's both. So the good news about the whole the whole sort of community that we exist in is that I guess if you do it long enough and hopefully people like what you do and they feel there's some value to it, they come to you and they say, hey, we'd be interested in you talking to this artist about this project. And then you, you get to be really thoughtful about how you approach it. Yes, no, never like, uh, more like, is this the right time? Or- mm-hmm. Would there be a better place for this conversation than than with me? Or didn't we just have one? Or like, where's the where's the intention of it? You know. But most of the time, that when we get asked to do things, I guess I've just done it long enough now that most of the of the sort of suggestions are kind of very much in line with what we do. So it, that's great. I mean, that's beautiful. That's when you sort of get to fifty years old and you do this long enough, and you're like, great, like I'm in a really great spot here. But to answer your question, um, I'm very grateful for that and love the, the teams that we work with both here and outside the company. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful process. But um, I am proactive. I am proactive. I don't wait. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I put in the groundwork and I do it in very subtle ways and I work hard at building trust even when I'm not in the room. If I'm a fan of you, if I listen to your music and it moves me, I'm so invested from the conversation side of my life that I, I feel drawn to wanting to know about what makes it work for you and who you are and what you're willing to share. Like I, it's a part of who I am. I've been doing it so long. I mean, I chased Post Malone down for three years <laughs> in a lot of different ways. I mean, that's funny to say now because he does a lot of press, but back then he did nothing, you know? He, he'd been, he'd had a rough intro and he was in the era of no conversation. How are you doing that? Like. Technically, are you busting someone's DMs? Are you no. obviously you have access to agents and you can find out people's yeah, numbers yeah, yeah, and whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's a combination yeah. of, again of instinct and diligence, knowing when it's time to light it up. But I'll give you an example, which some people may think is cool, some people may think is trying too hard, whatever. But but it's worked for me. I've done things on the air where I've spoken really passionately about an artist or a song, and something's really landed in the moment, not prepared. I've just caught something that feels like I actually really feel what you're trying to do here. And then after we've come off, I'm like, just clip that up and just send that to the label and let them know how I feel. I could just let it be. I could hope someone was listening or I could give them something to use if they want this person to open up and they feel it would be a great way to, to communicate through fans and to better present the music. They've got one there in the canon that they can use or not. So it's, it's just finding ways to let people know your intention is good and that you understand what they're trying to achieve and then giving them the space to come to their own conclusion. I don't chase people down. I don't, you know, try to sort of rush the process, but I certainly don't sit on my hands and wait for it to come to me. I see where there's opportunities or shifts in the energy field and I'm like, all right, cool. What do I need to do here to get a little more information to make me better understand how to make this something that is approachable and even potentially enjoyable for this person. I want to talk more about manifestation of things um, soon as we get back from this break. 
It's time to discover a new approach to luxury automotive, where Korean sensibility meets audacious design, groundbreaking technology powers every ride, and your experience, from first glance through ownership, is nothing less than exceptional. Learn more at Genesis.com. As a kid growing up in New Zealand, did you have any sense of my near future, maybe it's my far future, of things I'd like to see or do? you create no, things no i mean how could I, I i could never have you know i was so far away from where we are now and it's like and not just in terms of distance but just in terms of like the era i grew up in like it's i'm an 80s kid i'm obsessed with music i'm obsessed with the type of music that not many people are listening to or playing and um i i, I mean who do I talk to about that? Where do I go? Where's my, there's no real industry. There's no, I can't go knock on someone's door and say, hey, would you mentor me? Like I, I it's like, you know, my dad was in radio. You could say that that was a part of my life. But my dad was, he built radio stations and ran them. He wasn't an on-air talent. He didn't do anything like that. So he didn't do interview people. He's a creative guy. I definitely got equal parts, mom and dad in lots of different ways. But I think a lot of my, where I ended up sort of in terms of my passions and stuff was just born out of wanting to, find a place that I could immerse myself in where I felt understood, even if it was just me and the artists I was listening to. This is very common amongst music fans who didn't ultimately make it an art or make it something more passionate. Is it, it goes beyond just enjoyment. It becomes a place that, uh, where you are able to be yourself and just like when I was on my own at home and I put my Depeche Mode records on, no one could judge me. No one could call me a loser or any of that shit. It was me and Dave Gahan and Martin Gore and Alan Wilder and, you know, Alan Fletcher. And that was it. Manifestation as a concert really came about later in my life in my 20s, late 20s, because I was trying to understand what my life had become and where it could go. It's about feeling. It's about feeling. It's about feeling something, right? And um, that's really what I'm searching for is a feeling. I'm not a master manifester. I do think that that does exist. I do think there are people, I mean, you can't tell me that Lionel Messi, it's not just about discipline and it's not just about hard work. Those things are two things he's put into his craft. But he knows where the ball's going to go. He sees it. He's already celebrating 10 seconds later down the field. I'm sorry. It's just, I just don't, and I just think that it's too, it's too much of a singularity for us to not feel that everything around us is shifting and moving all the time. So why can't it, 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 we move with it and into it and figure things out? I mean, I just want to believe that. But I like it when things come into my life and I te it tends to be more sort of about health and well-being and the well-being of my family and things like that. Um, more than like money. <laughs> you know, I don't sit there and go like, I want to feel like I got money. It's more just like, oh, I really want to make sure everyone's good. I want to feel like everybody's healthy. I want to feel like our kids are, are fulfilled today. It's kind of almost a form of prayer, I think. And I love it. I love, I love the idea of it. I love the concept of it. I love, the, I love the idea of, the concept of religion is beautiful. The idea of community coming together and creating a shared experience that supports one another and ultimately puts prayer into something intangible and in the hope that it makes life better is beautiful. We just know it's got complicated, mm -hmm. you know, but... I just think it's it's good to be able to step out of yourself and and believe in magic. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool to believe in magic. I I don't want to live in a world where magic is sort of there's a reason for that. It's like mm -hmm. does, does it have to be <laughs> for everything? It might be a, it might be a, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it might be a stretch, but I feel like t the way you were talking about putting on a Depeche Mode record and 
you know, no one, no one can judge you. No one's, no one's around. You're just, you're just in that moment, in that space. Finding that maybe in some ways has enabled or empowered you to create that for others. It gave me in, so much. In, in the way, in, in the way, back to, back to kind of the earlier part of the conversation, the way you hold space. Yeah. Right, being able to create a create a moment and 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 engage who you're talking to in yeah. a manner where the rest of the world can just be tuned out. It's such a. I'm so glad you said that because, and I I can't actually, I'm no closer to understanding why this is than I was when I was a kid. But for some reason, the people who create the music are of paramount importance to me. Outside of my family and my friends and people that where the love is unconditional and real and the friendship is joyous. The artists that gave me the records when I needed them the most, something happened in that relationship when I was a kid where it, it became deep for me. And so when, when people who still to this day say, you know, like, why aren't you critical? Why don't you criticize things? Why do you, why is it always positive? It, it, it's always coming at it from the wrong angle. It's not like I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to, to your point, honor and respect the gift that I'm being given. I understand it's art, it's on the block. It should be criticized on the critical voices are important. It's just not how I'm built. Because when I discovered music, I needed something in my life that was there for me and it was music. So for me to actively search for things I don't like is in contrast to that relationship that I have with music, which is I'm only searching for things that move me. And if you move me, I love you. Thank you. I need it. You're there for me. When did that awareness help transition the way you mm. talk to people? So right at the start and only very recently, like right at the start, I think looking back on it now, I knew that that's what music was to me. It was this um, unconditional experience of like, I, I, like I can put as much of myself in this as I want and it will give it back. But, but then, you know, as, as I sort of grew and went through my 20s and 30s and whatever and did jobs, yeah, of course it was like, like I said, it was like, you know, hey, uh, you know, and, and there were moments it was like, hey, I really want to hear my song. It's like, yeah, cool, just leave it, I'll get to it. <laughs> you know, because you're moving 100 miles an hour and, and, and it becomes something that kind of feeds into a job, into a radio show or a TV show or whatever, you know. But as I've gotten older now, yeah, I'm reconnecting to that original that original feeling. And I think that's because again, you know, I'm having conversations with people where that feeling is, is, is the narrative. Um, so I'm starting to remember what it felt like for me as a kid to discover music. And I'm trying to capture that from a, from a mature point of view and, and let artists explain that. So more people, it sounds really ridiculous, but I really want people to feel music. Mm -hmm. I really want people to feel it. And, and I, and I'd never be so bold or arrogant is to like tell people you've got to feel this you do your life it's you i understand right. it's complicated like you're not, there's, i don't feel music every day but if an album moves me and i think you'll love it or i really respect your opinion you're gonna it's you're gonna get it from me I'll, you will get the text with the link <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's not on the air and that's mm -hmm. that's just me going you gotta hear this man you gotta hear this like and, and like out of the blue, like DM artists I've never spoken to before. You got to hear this.
given what Evan and I do, we're looking at so many things across so many categories and and it's really easy for us. Most, a lot of the times we're just going off of instinct. We're going off of feeling. We mm. see something, it's like, wow, that's really, that's mm. interesting, that's amazing. I'm curious about it. I wanna know more, I'm gonna dig in. Mm. And there are other things where at first glance, it's easy to just be like, nope, next on to the mm. next. Mm. And sometimes we come back around to something we might have passed over because we learn more of its story <laughs> or more importantly, the story of the designer who made it, the mm. inventor who made it, the entrepreneur who conceived it. And it's called the Tom York dis- effect. Dis- people, have it, people have it with Radiohead records all the time. Mm-hmm. Once they, so th- I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the question though, is has your feeling about a song or an album or an artist changed once you got to know the artist, once you had the contents, once you context, mm. once you had the backstory, yeah, did did that change? Like, is there is there has there been music that just didn't resonate for you? Yeah, and I then mean, later, yeah, it became incredibly relevant because you got to know the person who made it and and understand where they were coming from. The best example of that was that in the early to mid in the early nineties, I was very kind of obsessed, really, only with hip hop, rap music, R and B and house music. It was all electronic. And um, then I heard like the rest of the world, Smells Like Teen Spirit on a student radio station mm-hmm. and everything changed. It's like, well, that's not just notes. That's like a life-changing experience. <laughs> like no question about it, you know. Um, it's like a child eating a donut for the first time. Okay, <laughs> life just <laughs> changed, right? <laughs> But there really wasn't anything else to back it up because I wasn't deep in that scene, right? A few of my friends had been into like Bleach and knew about Nirvana. They were dismissive of people like me who were coming in on a teen spirit level. But it certainly wasn't big enough to dig, dig your teeth into. So I was still kind of mainly over here. And then this, the first ever big day out got announced in Auckland and it was four international acts and some New Zealand, Australian acts. We always consider ourselves to be part of the Southern Hemisphere lineup. And then there were like four American acts. There was the Breeders, Urge Overkill, Soundgarden we're headlining, and Smashing Pumpkins. It's a great lineup. Great lineup, right? Great lineup. For year yeah. one. Yeah. I mean, dude, amazing. Anyway, so Pumpkins have, are just about to release Siamese Dream, I think, or it's just come out. But it ain't what it is. It's like, they're sort of post-gish, like, eh. They're not Nirvana and they're too weird to be Nirvana. And I didn't really listen to the album. I sort of went through, I knew to hit singles. And then I interviewed Billy Corgan for the first time on the side of a grassy bank. He's so tired of me telling the story, but I, I tell it to him every time. On the side of a grassy bank, uh, I'm a kid. He sits down, he's got that Superman long sleeve Superman shirt that he always wore on that tour. He's like, it's one of the most sort of instantly charismatic weirdos I've ever met, like just brilliant rock star, Mm -hmm. tall, broad-shouldered, huge hands. And he just sits down and he's just so kind of macho and effeminate in equal measure. Like I'll never forget the feeling I got. It was like, this guy's like a big guy, but he's also so delicate with his movements and everything's so sort of, like I said, just very soft, right? And so I'm kind of like falling in love with this guy. This guy's like, I've never seen even met a guy like this. This guy's from outer space. Mm -hmm. And I finished this interview and I'm really like, like, this is the first time I think I ever felt like, 
wow, like I'm really into this person beyond the music. Like I'm really fascinated by this person. Such interesting answers and such a weird way he carried himself. Like with this, this confidence, but also this kind of bullied sort of sense of self-awareness. Like it was just such a weird combination for me as a, as a young person. I watched them that day and it was just like changed my life. And I went and found that tape of that album and I listened to it. And I'd already listened to it. I was already a fan, but I listened to only that album for a year. Really? Nothing else. Maybe a bit of Nirvana, but like, yeah. and a bit of hip hop tribe and uh -huh. things obviously like that. But like on a rock level, nothing else came close. And that was the first time I was like, all right, like there is a space for me to be a fan and do my job. And in fact, it might be good if I combine the two. Mm. But And to receive that, to, to have that, physical connection yeah and that it's one thing to talk to them in some other manner but to like physically be face to face and to have that energy exchange i just didn't reject i just didn't reject it i just yeah. didn't go like ah you know okay let me just ask these 10 questions on a piece of paper that was yeah. kind of the beginning of when i realized like me feeling how i do about the music and about the people who make it is just kind of who i am so just be that don't try to be what a music interviewer should be on paper or a radio DJ or a presenter should be on paper. Like be a fan, like be a fan. Like you may alienate some people who don't like it. Maybe they just don't like me. Maybe they don't like overenthusiasm. Maybe they want more balanced personality representation of what I like and don't like, who cares? At the end of the day, this is who you are. It's what the path that music put you on when you needed it. Circumstances and events around you in your life when you discovered those, that music, when you discovered the Tom Petty's, Led Zeppelins, The Cures, Depeche Modes, The Smiths, you know, uh, the crowded house of split ends, you know, all these things. Like that's the stuff. That's the stuff of like dreams. Like you hold on to that. Like you don't, most people move on from that. And they go back and listen to those records. Like never lose that. That is kind of what will keep you in the room and keep you happy and keep you loving what you get to, what you love, loving what you love. And so that was kind of a pivotal moment for me. And also meeting Chris Cornell, Rest of Soul, man. I mean, mm. Uh, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've met too many people in my life that, um, they just, you just stop, I, I, yeah, you, you just stop thinking about whatever you're thinking about. You just, it's like, whoa, dude, the charisma that guy had is, um, off the charts. So sad. I think we have many different things to come back to. Let's just take a quick break. This is Amy Devers, host of Clever. My podcast brings you conversations you're not going to hear anywhere else with the visionaries and creative forces who shape our world and culture. It's a compelling mix of raw candor and honest shop talk that reveals the humanity behind the design of the world around us. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Head over to surroundpodcast.com or follow Clever wherever you get your podcasts. Who's impressed you really over uh, a long period of time? I only reserve that feeling for people that I know well enough to feel comfortable feeling that. Um, I try not to overextend my sort of holistic investment in someone unless I feel like I'm getting to know them and it's kind of like they could hang up their mic and then we'd still be friends. Right. You know, it's not just work. It's not it's just not selling just the product. And, and, and like any job, you end up becoming friends with people with similar interests and passions, right? It's it's not like because I'm on one side of the table and they're on the other, 
that friendship is is off the is off the table. I've got great friends in music, great friends who still make music, some friends who don't make music anymore, some friends who used to be quote unquote considered arena level success who are now still playing in bars and I still talk to them all the time. Like it's n never been a hierarchy of kind of who's doing what in their life. Um, some of the people I'm, who I've seen the most growth in are, the, are out, out of, of, through the other side of that success and are very happy and have found balance in their life and other things that keep them really happy in their life. And, you know, it's actually the opposite sometimes. I think a lot of the people who, who are my friends, I, I, I look back on it now in the tapestry of life, the journey of it all. And I think maybe they were at their most challenged when it was really at its biggest, <laughs> you know? I think it's tough. I think it's a hard thing to process. And um, so I don't even want, I don't even want health and well-being for anyone who's in my life who I care about. Um, you know, and, I, and I, I, I sort of feel compelled to probably give you an example. And I think probably the most obvious one for anybody, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying, is that becoming friends with Paramore has been a really rewarding experience for me because the relationship began with Haley and I connecting at a time when I think both of us were individually doing our own work. And then when we met back together and had conversations around her solo albums, I was back in therapy, she was figuring stuff out and we were like, this will be an interesting conversation, right? Two people who you know, see eye to eye on some stuff and you like my music and I like your take on my music, let's talk about like life. And so when I see that band out there just <laughs> having their most successful time ever, like legacy era success, like nothing can, like they can just do whatever they want now at the level that's good for them. That that's sort of the, that's the stuff. That, that's an example of the kind of stuff that makes me really happy beyond just getting the records. Like when I see them happy, I'm like, ah, oh. it's it's multi layered, right? As a fan, I'm like, ah, oh, we're gonna get another album. You know, hopefully we're gonna get another album because it seems really good, and I want another album. That's the selfish part, and the selfless part is like, um, you won. You came out the other end of the of the of the typhoon of the thrash, and you've got can, you've got some balance over over what you do. It's clear. You choose what to do, what not to do, how to approach it, and um, so that 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 to me is like the ultimate sort of fan slash personal win is when I see somebody like just kind of have got it figured out because it's 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 not designed to figure out. It's designed to be confused and upside down in and mm -hmm. like. 50 arenas a night people screaming at you getting up early traveling da, da, da. I mean it's the lifestyle alone as much as people don't want to acknowledge it because it's like you wanted this I get it there are harder jobs there are harder jobs you know I enjoyed washing dishes I don't want to go and do it again I actually enjoyed it at the time I did it but I understand it's like you can't compare one or the other but it also doesn't mean that you should sort of not acknowledge that um it's a very unique and, un and, and unnatural experience for someone to go through, especially when the reason that they're on that stage or making that music is probably because they have to communicate through that medium because they don't know how to process that level of attention or that level of, of, um, of the, the ideology of love, not the real thing, but like the idea of like love. Like, I love you. Like, <laughs> do you know me though? That's why I love what Neil Young said the other day on Sage of the Creek and everyone just, I don't realize when you go to a Neil Young show that it just becomes like a, it becomes this amazing sort of back and forth with the crowd. I didn't realize that, that when, especially in solo shows, it's obviously a thing where people just go like, you know, you know, I love you now. And he goes, wait till you get to know me. <laughs> you know, he's just got comes back for every comebacks for everything. You know what I mean? Um, so like, come on, Neil, because he's taking time. Come on, Neil. Why? Where are we going? Like he just got comebacks. It's like dad <laughs> jokes for days. 
you know, it's, um, it's just, it's not a normal thing. So I'm really happy when I see my friends find some normality and still get to do abnormally brilliant shit. That's mm. the balance I'm looking for. Can mm. you be at your best and um, not feel like you have to give your best every time? I mean, abnormally brilliant shit. You were recently at the opening of The Sphere. It's U2's, abnormally brilliant shit. <laughs> U2's first yeah. show yeah. in that venue, in that that abnormally brilliant shit. I'd yeah. love to yeah. hear about the experience of the sphere and, and and how that your your thoughts on just how that's that could be changing the the game. Well, the game doesn't need to change. I also went and saw fantastic shows in stereo environments staring at a stage at the end of a field or an arena or a club and felt something very amazing and meaningful in that environment. I don't get a sense that anyone's going into those venues like, man, when is this going to change? Um, but that doesn't mean that someone shouldn't follow a dream or an idea that's just way bigger or way different. The thing I got from Sphere is that it's not actually a music venue. It's ex a very experiential venue. And I think that what Darren Aronofsky is doing now is going to sort of create some balance in terms of the expectation of what Sphere is. I think when you launch it with a band like U2, you're like, who else could do it? And the, the truth is, you know, it is probably a relatively small group at this point, but that's not to say it's not gonna inspire people to do it. I've spoken to two artists since it opened who are like, oh, we're gonna do that one day. But it's always one day, mm -hmm. it's not tomorrow. Because it is a huge investment, time, money, you're not going to do it for one night. Ain't nobody no. going and playing the forum and then whipping off to Vegas and doing one night as fear. Nope. You know, you're in or you're out. And you see, if you're going to be in, you got to be ready to be in, which means you have to be financially ready to be in. You have to be emotionally and, and you have to, your legacy has to be topped up and ready to sell the ticket. Everything's got to feel like it's an event, right? You don't need a hundred hits, but it needs to feel impactful mm -hmm. for your audience. So it, it's a commitment on a high, high level. Um, so I think it's I think that's where it's going to change things. I think it's going to add something to people's who are to to anybody who has an ambition to push it as far as they can. They will now add that to their list, hmm. and that's going to be cool. That's going to be cool to see like who who wants it. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it's it's it's. I think we all thought it was like ah oh, you know, and everyone was like it's the greatest music venue ever created. It's not a music venue. It's really not like going and watching those visual events in there, cinematic events in there. I've said this before, but in the 10 minutes that Paulie was DJing before U2, and he was going pretty deep, and they, they got the light just right, it became very sort of dusky, and everything felt really like timeless like you wouldn't even know what time it was outside and i thought whoever gets the rave right in here is gonna mm. win <laughs> like whoever turns this into a club and really goes for it and i'm not just talking about no disrespect but i'm not talking about the big flashy bottle service shit like whoever creates a meaningful tasteful clubbing experience mm -hmm. in here that will change things so it will change like anything great in the hands of the people who use it is it more like an ABBA voyage kind of like venue? what do you mean? Like what do you mean? Like, like the the 
the ABBA experience in London. Oh, right, right. Like, I never saw ABBA, to be fair, so I couldn't comment on that because I never made it to London to see it yet. But um, So I don't know. I can't compare that. But what I can tell you is that... Um, so I've been to places where the screens are seem bigger than what's possible. And I've been to shows that are multi-sensory and coming at you from different parts of everything. I've never been in a place or been at a show where the relationship between the technology and what you're actually experiencing with the people in front, behind, left and right of you is so seamless. Mm. And by that, I mean that when in particular, they decide to sort of suspend the concept of any frame at all. They remove the sphere and you're in the parking lot in Vegas and you're sitting on the seat staring at Vegas at night. I looked left and right, right down the row to the point where the, where the stands end and it becomes angular and you see the edges of the stand going up. And I really was like, it, I don't see any ending. It doesn't, I'm not like, oh, I am just sitting in a room. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I could literally, didn't take much for me to suspend my belief that it, it just kept going. <laughs> that if I went to the edge of that seat at the far right and looked around the corner, I would see all the way down to the end of Nevada off in the distance as far as I could see. Like, so you do, you, so, so it will be and continue to be and increasingly so a very immersive experience. It is... It is very easy to um, to forget where you are in the right hands. We really need to go. It's really amazing. Man. We need to go. It's pretty spectacular. And what's really cool as well is that even though the band's tiny and, and Brian Eno's, in any other circumstances, enormous replica of a turntable stage is really big. Um, and everything else going on around is really massive. When they get to that crescendo of with or without you, you ain't worried about the screen. And that's what they've done really well is I've still brought it back to the power of the music. And I, I never felt disconnected from you two, even though mm -hmm. I, they couldn't be further away from me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Interesting. Yeah. So it's the, it's the, it, that, that, but that's, that's the production, right? That's not the venue. That's the, that is the, the blend of the, the artists and the production. That's and understanding, where it's going to be. Yes. That's understanding gonna... how to and manipulate is a word that has such negative connotations, but it, I think, is a very positive thing as well. How to manipulate the audience? Like I'm a weirdo. Like I want to see Bonnie Vera in there. Like I'm a yeah, weirdo. Yeah, like yeah. I want to see, you know, of course I want to see Beyonce in there or Coldplay, but I mean I want to see Radiohead, you know, mm -hmm. in there. <laughs> I want to see like what is Kid A going to do in there? You know, what's everything in its right place going to sound like and look like in this place? You know what I mean? So for me, it's like very. I'm just I'm I'm just hoping that it 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 continues to um, create a and I think it will become a place where ex, where it can be experimental and not just um you know about scale you know because it's it's too cool to just be about scale it needs to be a place where things are invented and created and and, and it has to work you know. together it's not just about having effects or cool video but there's no right? effects that's the thing you know you two have four lights freestanding light towers just f single light like single towers four with lights on it. So it's not like there are effects. There's no, like, the biggest effect in there is the drone that sweeps through that place right past mm. your face and disappears down over that floor towards the band. And it's and that's when you realize how big it is because the screen makes it feel so intimate when it wants to. And then the drone sweeps past your face. You're like, whoa. 
whoa. And then it goes right down over the crowd and over the band and then up around the sky and swells up. And you're like, all right, I am in a massive cave, like an enormous technology cave right now. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You know, Zane, you do so many things here at Apple and it's great to be here with you in your studio. Hmm. Um, you are one of the people who've kind of developed it into what it is over the last eight, nine years, which is pretty amazing. You've been part of this journey of the evolution really of audio, which is pretty amazing what it's brought to this company. You also host a daily show, almost a daily show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's part of that has always been your interviews, which have also now become someone of, else. Become something else. That's and the that's, biggest challenge is balancing the live show with the travel and the interviews. So that's the hardest thing. And the podcast, right? So you've got, you've got a lot of things that are going on. Like, yeah. can you kind of give us a sense of, you know, plus you do artist relations on top of <laughs> that, right? So you're dealing with so many different layers. I want to say like, what's it like for you? But like, mm. you know, on an average day, like you're thinking about so many different kinds of things. How do you bring all that together? It's actually a really lovely way for us to kind of to kind of, it's a lovely 360 thing because you asked me about balance at the beginning of this. And the answer is not dissimilar. I used to struggle with focus. I used to, I used to feel like I had to have 30% of something going while I was trying to finish the last 20% of this and start this and then almost finish that. And it worked for a while, but then the stakes got higher and the jobs got bigger and, and it was harder to kind of balance that out. It was easy when I was running my own shop, you know, and I, would, I, I, yeah, I was employed by the BBC, but I knew I had to be here at a certain time and I knew what my job was and I was in a great flow there. And I was just like, man, I'll show up, give me the records, give me the, what am I doing? Do, 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 mics up, let's go. You know, the rest of the time I'd be recording, producing, mixing, booking DJ shows, figuring out travel on that. It, that was when I was sort of juggling the things. Um, when I came to Apple and I realized that like, a lot of those sort of multiple channels were going to be replaced at the same company and require a lot of attention. It was Jimmy Iveen who took me aside. We didn't need to. Jimmy never takes anyone aside. He just told me straight into my face. <laughs> you know, you need to focus. Like, you are great and you're here for a reason, but focus. Like, when there's something great in front of you, make it incredible and just don't worry that's going to go away. Like, just you'll spend less time, better time making that a success than you will trying to finish it with all these other things at the same time. It's easily said and done by him now. At the time, it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. And I'm getting better at it. And so, yeah, I have a lot of jobs. But if I'm on location and an artist is going to give me some time and it's going to matter to that artist and to the fans, that is my focus. Especially if it's some one that you've been working on for a very long time to get that time together. And nothing's going to get yeah. between that. And if I'm on the air and someone needs my attention, unless it's an emergency and I can do both, I'm on the air. That's my focus. And so it's really just about like being able to apply focus and, and get things into, into a place of value or in place of, of excitement or enjoyment. And also 
to be fair to the really amazing teams I work with, just delegation, I've got incredible people around me. I mean, the people who work on this radio show are so smart and so into music, then they feed me all the time. And so they, they make this really fun. The interview stuff now, I've got an incredible team. I don't have to really worry about any any logistics. I lean into the areas I'm interested in. I make sure that you know my opinion is heard in certain areas or the way it looks, it feels, where the location could be, the timing of it. If there's a problem, I'm definitely there to help solve it. And I offer that level of artistic art, artist relations experience like, mm, don't push that let it go we'll come back around in six months on that you know what I mean like just a bit of perspective when everything seems really like no 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 no. we've got to make it happen no no we don't it's cool we'll get it don't do it now they're not in the mood to get that information they don't want to hear from us it's cool we'll come back around when the time's right give them some space them, you know it's the best one, best thing we can do. Things like that, like it's just allowing there to be a bit of, and also no one to go, no, we got to go for that. Like now's the time, go for it, right. get it done. Come on, we're Season so close. We're, going, we're so close. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm really fortunate at this point in my life that for whatever reason reasons, I'm able to lean in or lean out and know that things are still going to be okay. Um, so that's really how I get the balance is, um, and I get to choose to focus is that I've got incredible teams around me that say, hey, I need you to focus on this. Like, oh yeah, cool. What do you need? And then it's like, did that help? Great. Move on to the next thing, you know? And so, yeah, it's about choosing good people to be around and, and trusting them and delegating and having, and, and enhancing everyone's experience by everybody getting to do their best work to get the best result. That's really what it comes down to. I'm not trying to be all things to everyone and control everything. And I mean, I definitely used to do that. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't send that email. I'm not on it. Like, why are you not on it? Is a reason you're not on it. You don't have to be on it. Chill out, mate. <laughs> I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope that was good for you. It was it really, was, it was yes, nice. it was great. Zane, thank you so much for welcoming us into your Apple Music Studio and for taking the time to speak with us. We're really, really humbled. Thank you to the team at Apple for making it happen. Listeners, let us know what you think of this episode by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast network of choice. And thanks to Master and Dynamic, the official headphones of the Surround Network, and to our great behind-the-scenes team, including our producers, Rob Schulte and Rachel Senator at the Surround Podcast Network at Sandow Design Group. To hear more podcasts like Design Tangents, head to surroundpodcasts.com, where you can hear shows like Clever, hosted by Amy Devers, or Ideas of Order, the California Closets podcast. We'd like to thank Genesis for their ongoing support in presenting Design Tangents. Discover more about Genesis at Genesis.com.